0: Like most people who grew up in the shadow of the new millennium, amidst the fears of Y2K, the menace of 9-11, and the celebration of the great jubilee organized by the Roman Catholic Church, I was absorbed by other things. Cognizant of the chatter of grown-ups that focused on the tribulations of the daily world, my friends and I were instead devouring a series of books about a young wizard, marked at birth by tragedy and magic. His saga, and that of his friends, enemies, and accomplices, has come to be one of the defining stories of our time. Harry Potter captured the minds of millions of people around the world, and has been translated into hundreds of languages. The boy who lived became an icon of our generation. While we were playing at magic on the playground, the daily rhythms of my life in a small Catholic school in Canada were steeped in religion, rites, and the mysteries of God. We sang hymns, recited prayers, studied the Bible and attended mass weekly. And while I wasn’t baptized, my parents decided to leave that decision up to my sister and I. Nearly everyone in my school was but our Roman Catholic teachings were seemingly at odds with the magical worlds that we associated with, what we were reading in novels and seeing on screens. And yet, even at the time, I noticed that the magical world of Hogwarts wasn't as contradictory to the mysteries and practices of Catholicism as our teachers would have us believe different sorts of incantations, rituals, and the belief in higher forces and dark powers permeated our cultural imaginations, as well as our classroom hours. In short, our young lives were steeped in religion, esotericism, and occultism. A heady and peculiar mix that has no doubt informed my worldview, taste in popular culture, and even what I choose to believe in. I'm telling you this story because I don't think that it is that unique or singular. I think that it's more commonplace than that. The fascination in esotericism and the occult has, since then, been a regular facet of my life. It wasn't so much that I started to practice Wiccan rites or my own form of magic or herbalism. No, the intertwining of esotericism with my life was subtler and broader, more deeply rooted than that. It resides in my love of H.P. Lovecraft stories and lore about the fabled Necronomicon, in my love of medieval mystic music, and yes, in the fact that I am a conflicted Slytherin. On this episode of Mokum, I am joined by two experts in esotericism to help me unpack the world of the occult that has come to touch every facet of our contemporary lives. Dr. Marco Pazzi and Dr. J. Christian Greer are both teaching an online winter course at the University of Amsterdam this January, Visions of the Occult, an Introduction to Western Esotericism. You can find the link to the course in the description of this episode. Before I air my interviews with Marco and Christian, there are a few things that I want to mention first to help give context to this episode. Firstly, Marco is the director of the HHP, the history of Hermetic philosophy and related currents at the University of Amsterdam, sometimes called by the swish name Amsterdam Hermetica. It's the world's foremost center for the study of Western esotericism. Christian recently defended his PhD there, and is now a postgraduate fellow at Harvard Center for the Study of World Religions. Both are deeply passionate about the academic and historical study of esotericism, and how it influences culture, and how we see the world around us. And that brings me to my second point. What precisely is esotericism? Is it an academic study? A series of personal beliefs? Pseudo-religion? Pseudo-science? Is it even related to something like Harry Potter? The short answer is yes, it's all of those things. Western esotericism, sometimes called the mystery tradition, is a term that gathers together related ideas and movements that have developed in Western society throughout its long and complex history. What unites these seemingly disparate movements is that they are largely distinct from orthodox interpretations of major Western religions and Enlightenment rationalism, However, there are many people who would argue that these currents are also imbricated within and give rise to one another. Broadly speaking, esotericism includes philosophical perspectives, religious practices, pseudoscientific writings, art, literature, and music. Esoteric currents include things like witchcraft, magic, Kabbalah, New Age spiritualism, alchemy, yoga, Gnosticism, theosophy, and famous cultic groups like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and the music of the mystic nun Hildegard von Bingen. Given the wide range that esoteric objects and currents have adopted in the past, it is by no means a stretch to say that esotericism is a prominent feature of our present-day global popular culture, and that these currents are at work in a great many of the films, novels, music, and art that we know and love today. But it wasn't always that way, Throughout the interviews, you'll hear Marco, Christian, and myself referring obliquely and directly to esotericism as othered or rejected knowledge. Because it historically fell outside of the dominant trends of Western societies, esoteric practices and beliefs were actively persecuted through much of Western history. And yet, the traditions and their influences live on, affecting our lives in more ways than we might realize. In the following interviews, Marco and Christian delve into the importance of the contemporary and historical study of Western esotericism and give you a sneak peek of some of the topics they'll be covering in their course. I'm going to play both interviews largely unedited and back-to-back. We're going to start with Marco and end with Christian. Okay, Marco, let's, uh, let's get going then, and um, welcome to MoCum. Thank you. I'm hoping you could introduce yourself to Mokum listeners, tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and how your interests are related to the occult and Western esotericism.
1: Yes, my name is uh, Marco Pazzi, and uh, I am an Associate Professor in the History of Hermetic Philosophy and Related Currents uh, here at our Center at the University of Amsterdam. I am originally Italian. Uh, I spent uh, in Italy the... The first 25 years of my life, I graduated in philosophy at the University of Milan and then I moved to Paris uh, to do my PhD uh, on the history of Western esotericism. Uh, I spent nine years in Paris and then I moved to Amsterdam because I got the position here in 2004. So basically I have spent the first uh, half of my life in Italy and now the second half, uh, 14 years of which uh, in Amsterdam uh, outside of Italy. My specialism is Western esotericism, so I have always been interested uh, in these kind of subjects and uh, also my own PhD was on a subject related to to this field of research. I am a modernist, so basically I work on modern material uh, starting from mostly the second half of the 18th century up to our days. My research uh, until now has focused, uh, however, mostly on stuff uh, from the second half of the 19th century, first half of the 20th century. So, of course, uh, I am curious and interested in uh, a lot of other stuff, but uh, the, the, the core research that I have done uh, is, uh, is this kind of material.
0: Could you give us an example of some of yeah, the topics or, or trends that, uh, that have interested you in, in the past and, and also now?
1: Yes, um, the subject of my PhD dissertation was uh, the idea of magic in uh, British occultism, um, second half of the 19th century, first half of the 20th century. So basically, that was my main interest at the time. I was was trying to understand a little bit how historically these currents of occultism uh, had um, come into being. And uh, what was the, you know, the historical evolution of this, of these movements of this current. So, you know, groups like uh, the Hermetic uh, Order of the Golden Dawn, uh, also connected to uh, the Theosophical Society, and then major figures like William Butler Yeats, uh, to mention perhaps the most famous member of the Golden Dawn, or Alistair Crowley, who, who is as famous, but more famous with uh, occultists than uh, with literary persons. So this is the kind of stuff I have been doing. I am interested um, uh, now, uh, because that was the subject of my PhD dissertation, But then, of course I moved on afterwards. Now uh, I am particularly interested in um, uh, things like uh, art, politics, sexuality, all related to, to esotericism, to modern esotericism. So I try to look at the history of esotericism not as if it was something insulated, you know, something that has nothing to do with the environment in society but something that participates fully and it's it's really a very important component uh, of modern Western culture. So, you know, for, for instance, I have been interested particularly in uh, the history of sexual magic, uh, which is a very interesting development uh, that begins, you know, more or less mid-19th uh, century. And I have been interested in art also, how uh, many modern artists are interested in esoteric subjects. So... Uh, how this has affected also their artistic uh, practice.
0: I think something that always really strikes me about the academic study of esotericism in general is that, you know, this is an extremely long tradition. This includes things like magic that go back um, thousands of years, you know, before many of our modern institutions and uh, great world religions really came into being. And are still things that have relevance today.
1: Absolutely, well, actually, uh until now our center had expertise uh, specifically on the early modern and modern period and now the great news is that we are expanding because we are hiring new people now and uh, we are going to have a specialist for the late antiquity period and a specialist for the middle ages period and and you're quite right i mean um, uh for quite some time i mean uh, in the old days uh, at the beginning uh, of this uh, academic uh, field of research there was the idea that maybe Western esotericism really started um, in the early modern period at the end of the Middle Ages and then there came a new generation uh, of scholars who challenged this and said well you know what actually there was stuff going on even before you know in antiquity with Gnosticism Neoplatonism you know all sorts of currents and movements it was already there and and obviously this creates a kind of continuity a history that runs through you know, uh, that period and then goes through the Middle Ages and basically come to our days. Obviously with a lot of transformations because this is what history is about. So you always have to adapt to a particular context, the social culture context. But in fact, you can see that it's a common history that many traits and, and aspects and features uh, recur. You know, They, they, they come again even and despite uh, you know uh, all the changes that uh, may have happened throughout history
0: absolutely I think that uh, that is one of the things that that broadly interests people in uh, the occult and in, and in esotericism certainly now is that it, it does provide these, these windows into different moments and different movements that have that have you know been associated with those different historical periods. But there is, as you say, there is a long tradition. Um and, and elements of those continue like threads through a fabric and, and others don't, and some get picked up again later on. Uh, but I think that is something that, that definitely draws people to this study and and to these sorts of stories and, and knowledge streams because they in some way can connect us to things that at least seem universal or topics that are uh, bigger than us.
1: Absolutely, well, you know, there is something quite astonishing in the fact that uh, certainly we are dealing with a very, very big phenomenon. And yet we are basically, you know, one of the very few places in the world where this can be studied properly from, you know, from an academic perspective. So this is something about um, a certain kind of uh, censorship that has existed, perhaps, you know, it's kind of self-censorship. I'm not saying that this was nec- necessarily forbidden or anything, but there was generally uh, the idea that you wouldn't touch these things, that these things uh, were, you know, not so interesting. Uh, they were still part of uh, a legacy of superstition. Uh it, it you know, it was something of the past that uh, had lost any kind of cultural relevance. You have to you ha- you have to leave it behind. Uh, so obviously the existence of our centre here challenges this this perspective, which is obviously very old fashioned today. But um you know, old fashioned as it may seem, you know, you can see that it's still around. It's still around. So you cannot talk about these things so easily anywhere. And you can do
0: it in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, we can do it. Thankfully we can do it in Amsterdam. No, I agree. I think it's important that you bring that up. I mean, there's certainly always an element to to studying these topics that are, you know, they go against the grain of of accepted uh, knowledge or a kind of canon of, of knowledge. And I think it's very important certainly in, you know, in our day and age, um, here we are in October of 2020 and, um, the world that we live in is is rapidly changing. People are looking for all sorts of different ways to distill meaning, and also um, previously othered or or just different uh, schools of thought. And I think what's really important about that is that we actually see uh, oftentimes in uh, in the present that. The institutions and modes of thinking that we've inherited are, are also sometimes breaking down, and, and maybe that's because they're not always flexible enough or, or capable to deal with the realities of the present. And I think maybe turning to Western esotericism, esotericism in general, and, and the study of the occult actually presents opportunities for people to, to see that, hey, answers to these questions or potential answers to these questions were there all along
1: yeah absolutely i agree and in fact you know i have to say that uh, i usually don't buy the argument whereby uh you just say you know these subjects have not been studied in the past they have been neglected uh and so we should study them now just just because they were neglected and so we we don't know enough about them now, of course, this is as good as it can get sometimes, but I don't think it's good enough, actually. I think there should be a bit more in order to uh, prove the relevance of something that you are studying. And uh, and that's the case with, uh, with esotericism, actually. So I would say, you know, the first reason why it is important to study uh, Western esotericism today uh is that this kind of stuff nowadays it, it didn't used to be the case in the past but now it's certainly the case it's everywhere it's really everywhere so in fact there is um, you know a very important sociologist who is doing work in our field his name is christopher partridge and uh he he wrote an essay in which he said that a oh, culture is everywhere now, a culture, of course, is the culture of the occult. that's 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 clear. So this kind of culture that brings together all these different uh, threads and you know ideas, beliefs, practices that are coming, you know from from this kind of uh, of legacy of Western esotericism. And today this is something so widespread. You can find it everywhere. You can find it in popular culture. You can find it in pop music, for instance, you can find it in films. Uh, Just think about, uh, you know, Dan Brown's bestsellers, think about, uh, you know, Harry Potter. We're talking about stuff that is actually generating millions uh, of profit, you know, for for everybody who is involved. So uh, we are not dealing with something that is marginal anymore. So I think it is important for persons who want to understand contemporary culture uh, to have an idea of where this is actually coming from. And, and how you want to understand it in its own terms. You know, you, you really need to have the right keys in order to understand this kind of material. So this is, I think, a very, very important argument. And the second argument is the fact that um, clearly this, uh, uh, this material has been marginalized in the past. And in some cases, it has actively been persecuted. Uh, so people who would practice certain things, who would have certain ideas, would you know, would even be burned at the stake. Uh, so we, you know, no joke. Now the the thing is, okay, so why was it so important for mainstream culture marginalize, to stigmatize and execute this kind of stuff? This is something we want to understand, because if we want to understand the history of Western culture, uh, or even culture generally we also need to understand the history of the enemies that Western culture perceived as such. You know, the, 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 you know, because basically Western culture was constructing its own identity on the basis of what Western culture thought was the other, you know, the enemy. Uh, things that, uh, you know, were not appreciated, liked, understood. So by studying Western esotericism, and this is more of an historical argument, well, then you really have a key that allows you to understand this kind of very complex, but also very interesting uh, historical processes.
0: I think that's so fascinating, Marco. I, I think you're absolutely right, of course. Everything, uh, it's, it's all about context and the context of this long historical debate in this academic study is also, Precisely that context of that tension between, um, you know, self and other, between accepted and rejected. And the politics and the the dynamics that go into that and, and teasing apart those threads, I think really help get us closer to understanding also contested knowledge and gain much more insight into those exact same processes that are happening in the world around us today.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that uh, a sound study uh, of this subject of esotericism has to have a right combination uh, between a, a historical perspective and an understanding of what's going on today in our contemporary culture and society. And this is actually what we are doing with Visions of the Occult, with, with our program. That's, you know, we, we really try to have a good mix between the two so uh, that. In fact, in order to understand uh, the present, you really need to have a look at the past. Uh, but at the same time, what's happening in the past, you know, gets its full sense and meaning if you know what's, what's happening now, you see? So uh, we, we really tried hard to have a, a good balance between these two aspects in the program. Well, look, I, I have to tell you, there is a lot of excitement here, a lot of enthusiasm, Uh, because we are doing this for the first time and so I mean it's you know it's it's a bit of an experiment for us but uh, that means that we are really hot on doing this you know there there is uh, you know really the the right vibes are there and I am sure this is going to be great you know something that amazes me I have been contacted also by prospective uh, students prospective uh, applicants from China and that's, that's really amazing because, you know, normally we think, okay, Western esotericism is a Western thing, although, you know, this is also being challenged now uh, also by a new generation of scholars. So in fact, there are good chances that we are going to drop uh, the, the Western qualification uh, sometimes. Um, so, but, but still you would think, okay, this is something that seems to be so uh, situated in a, in a particular context. But interestingly enough, uh, well, you can see that this is really attracting also young people from, from other cultural contexts. Uh, and for instance, we have a student from uh, Bangladesh now at this moment in our program, uh, our regular program uh, at the university. And, and so, yeah, that shows that this kind of history is actually interesting also for people who are coming from different cultural backgrounds. Also, because it's so easy to relate it also uh, to other phenomena, to, to, you know, to other historical situations. And this is something that we want to develop also in the future, trying to go perhaps for some kind of uh, comparative perspective. There are so many things that would be interesting uh, in that direction. And of course, you would need uh, the right expertise there. Uh, But, uh, well, it's something that uh, we could certainly work on.
0: The enthusiasm of everyone who works at the HHP is infectious, and I can't help but feel that one of the remarkable features of the study of Western esotericism, at least in its variant at Amsterdam Hermetica, is performing the exact opposite of the exclusionary tactics that were previously leveled against the study and practice of esotericism in its myriad forms. Marco mentioned that studying this broad and fascinating field gives key insights into understanding how culture forms. This is done through setting up binaries that oppose each other, with accepted knowledge being gathered on the one side, while the other side is seen as an enemy, and often persecuted. What's fascinating, however, is that both sides are products of the same currents and trends. The same cultures. The difference is in perception, as a culture constructs its own identity. That's the benefit of putting things in a historical perspective. We come closer to understanding more of what is going on around us today. Marco said it best, what has happened in the past gains its full sense of meaning in the present. This understanding transcends cultural boundaries, and reaches people regardless of where they come from, or what culture they grew up in. Dr. Christian Greer shares Marco's enthusiasm for unpacking the world around us in the present based on a thorough engagement with the traditions and movements of the past. When I called Christian, an autumn storm had just rolled in. Thunder and lightning and everything. So you may hear some of that in the background. All right, Christian, well, I guess let's get going for round two here. Ding, ding, ding.
2: Great to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for coming back despite our technical difficulties last time.
2: I had so much fun talking Me? to you with such a joy. As soon as it was over, I was like, that went so well.
0: Yeah, I had the exact same feeling. I was really jazzed. The whole rest of the night went great. And then when I opened the computer the next morning and listened, I just had a small sob. You know? It was too beautiful. It was too beautiful to be. And here we are again. My name's Dr. J. Christian
2: Greer. I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for the Study of World Religions at Harvard University. Here, my responsibilities include uh, setting up a program called Psychedelics and the Future of Religion. Really fascinating stuff. We're bringing in some of the more conventional voices within the psychedelic renaissance. These would be physicians, clinicians, therapists who are integrating psychedelics into
0: their therapy protocols. Fascinating.
2: Yeah, fascinating stuff, really cutting edge. However, of course, it wouldn't be uh, fun if we didn't have What can I say? Voices that complicate the narrative of the psychedelic renaissance. and, And that's where I come in. As a historian of esotericism, I am particularly key to the way in which mystical, mysticism, esoteric or occultism, these words are used not just by historians, but by, we'll say, cultural operators. So within the psychedelic renaissance, you see the word mysticism being used as an unalloyed good thing. Let me tell you, going through the history of mysticism, it's rarely a good thing. It's often a very terrible thing or terrifying thing. And so, yeah, part of the program is to complicate the way in which mysticism is used within this paradigm.
0: Sounds like a really worthwhile project and also at a super fascinating uh, place.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, it's really fun being at Harvard because, of course, this is where it started. Dr. Timothy Leary had his uh, office not far from my office now, so it is particularly fun. But returning to your question about my interest in esotericism. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a funny question because though there are some people in my field that really grew up stalking rare tomes through dusty libraries and, <laughs> and looking for the key to the Kabbalah, you know, that was not my experience at all. To, to tell you the truth, um, I woke up one morning and realized that I was a historian of esotericism, <laughs> not by virtue of seeking it out, but by virtue of really following my own path of understanding and my own interests, um, following them so far afield from the scholarly world, the conventional subjects studied in the university, um, that I realized that I had found my way into another uh, section of the university. So I, I initially began my career as a scholar in religious studies. and. In fact, uh, I had some very good professors who always encouraged me to follow my curiosities, follow my interests, and I took them for their word, maybe (laughs) (laughs) rightly or wrongly. And um, yeah, long story short, uh, I was really interested in Alan Watts and the Americanization of Buddhism within the 50s, particularly the beat generation, and really getting into that and there's not a lot of scholarly literature. So whatever literature was there, I just scoured it for bibliographic references for when they would drop names of their friends or even their enemies. Uh, I started compiling my own bibliography for these things. And as I said, as an undergrad, I had professors that were really encouraging. And so I wrote this thesis uh, as a bachelor student that was so far outside of anyone's field. I mean, it was about religious studies, but it was also about American studies. And I went into media studies that, yeah, my advisor was very happy with it. However, he said we we can't find anyone to grade this. I mean, it's written very well; it's persuasive. <laughs> but you know, h- how do I determine what occultism was in the nineteen forties? Uh, and so, while that could be very disappointing, I think that you know I'm an optimistic guy. I have a pretty sunny disposition. Uh, I just kept pursuing it because I felt like it was important. And if it was important to me, perhaps I could find other people. And then when I matriculated into the university of Amsterdam and found a community of scholars that had such a similar story to me, that they were fascinated with this topic that was important to them, that seemed to have really broad influences across culture. In my own experience, I was looking at Alan Watts. You can imagine my surprise when I turned on uh, Spike Jones movie, Her. It's a very interesting film about AI and the voice they give to the AI was Alan Watts. So it's also like, you know, I've listened to some uh, trance music and they'll dub it. So I find his mention like all over the place and yet no scholars were talking about it. And so that that would encourage me. So anyways, long story long, when I got to the University of Amsterdam, I talked to Marco Posse who has cultivated a a deep interest in British occultism, something that is not necessarily studied in the academy or if Mm -hmm. it is, is really misrepresented as a purely negative thing or an irrational thing. Mm-hmm. Marco was just so fascinated. He followed his curiosity and he was able to find a community. And of course you have Peter Forshaw, same story with alchemy, you know, universally reviled as proto science, right? Or, you know, just, just sort of uh, wacky experiments that didn't really go anywhere, a failed paradigm, so to speak. And then Walter Hanegraaff, who I, I think has put forward, what is the most substantial and robust counter narrative? to the master narratives that would marginalize the topics of, let's say, curiosity seekers, like myself, of people who really follow their own interests and insist on their significance within the historical record. It's really Wouter's work, and particularly esotericism Esotericism in the academy, that have opened up a scholarly means for, for us to join the conversation, not just in religious studies, but also in the study of European history, study of American history, I um, mean, even farther afield, cultural studies, cultural analysis, and even history of music, history of art. But so anyways, I guess that's what was so exciting about joining the program at, at the University of Amsterdam's History of Hermetic Philosophy and Related Currents Department is not only did I find the others who are also super invested in their individual projects, but they were also collaborating on a scholarly discussion that opened up the door to topics that had been marginalized before
0: i really do commend you i think it's a fascinating journey from yeah an undergraduate student who maybe i was grasping to see really what your interests were it's not really so much as you said about fitting in but indeed following your passions and your interests and how excellent that you could find a community of like-minded but also diverse folks at the university of amsterdam in the hhp
2: Oh yeah. And I have to say, I should preface this by saying I was a horrible high school student (laughs) and it it wasn't like I was like rebelling. Like I really tried, but it just didn't click to me. I I felt as though just the history I was being taught was somehow, I I don't know. It just didn't work. You know, I had tutors and I really tried my best. It didn't work. As soon as I got into university, undergrad, something switched on and perhaps it was the classes I was taking. Yeah. And the way that the professors approached the material. So I I did a lot of religious studies and, and history. And I was almost, you know, I was under the impression that they were, they had embarked on an intellectual adventure. They had their fascinations. They lived the life of the mind. And I never got the sense that I'm going to open up your head and dump in what you should know. I, I was always, or at least I always gravitated to the professors. That's like, we are trying to figure this out, come and join us. And what is your specialty? It just so happened that since I was such a horrible high school student, I was like a blank slate. <laughs> so I, got to, I got to university. I started going through used bookstores. I started haunting the library, really. And you know, as I said, I had an interest in heterodox Buddhism, but but also within uh, I was interested in cyber culture, whatever it was that that really caught my attention. I really devoted myself to, and th- throughout the undergraduate experience. Uh, I really remained close to these professors. It's like, don't worry, cultivate your interests. You know, we know what we know. We don't need you to know what we know, and 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 really, uh, that shaped the way I approach scholarship myself, which is to foreground the knowledge that students have, to foreground what students are curious about, what they're invested in, what they do in their free time, because it's that love that really makes topics sparkle. It's that love that is going to, um, I think really make the scholarly pursuit something you love.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think that that sparkle, uh, as you put it, yeah, that, that layer of passion that comes on top of studying something that is meaningful to you, I think that that's really where the magic comes from. And maybe then to use the magic as a, as a segue. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, I'm interested, Christian, in your opinion, if you can tell me a little bit more about what it is about studying and, and living, uh, you know, Western esotericism that is relevant or important for understanding the world today?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, my first thought, of course, is you can't go into a bookstore without seeing a magic section. Harry Potter has really changed the way that fiction, the world of fiction constitute itself. So you go to the cinema, it's full of enchantment, the bookstores, music is often, um, you see a lot of grasping towards mystical knowledge or mystical understanding and okay so we can get that out of the way that it's just everywhere (laughs) uh right i have to say personally what was so rewarding about studying esotericism is one as i said these are not just looked at as random anomalies that oh uh the surrealists were into uh alchemy oh how funny how quaint you know instead of making that just an isolated anomaly the study of esotericism opens up the perspective for studying so many currents within modern culture and postmodern culture as constituents of a longer project. And it's that longer project that historians of esotericism are attempting to uncover. I don't want to say a secret history of the West, because it's not secret. We've been publishing books on this stuff for 20 years, exactly. But it still remains marginal, it still remains. And and I think that there are social dynamics Mm -hmm. at play in the marginalization of heterodox religious currents. And it's exciting. To really be working on the forefront of renegotiating that master narrative, if not disassembling it totally.
0: That's something that really Marco kind of described in a different way in my conversation with him, too. You know, as cultures form, they are also trying to figure out their own patterning. And by figuring out their own patterning and their own you know, logic and rules and what's acceptable, of course... Things get othered, get cast as the enemy or as suspicious in opposition to that. And that is how cultures grow and form. And I think what really struck me was what Marco said. And that's also what you're echoing is that the study of Western esotericism opens up doors to really seeing how those cultural processes are happening in the present because you're putting them in that historical narrative.
2: Well, so often this is what is so surprising that. Certain currents will become other, we'll say feminist witchcraft or witchcraft becomes this other of Western culture. It becomes this dark side of irrationality and wild forces and nature. And so you have this dichotomy between reason and nature. And of course, reason becomes the popular mode of discourse. And, and what's funny is that when you start to look into witchcraft, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with dark forces. This is about herbalism. <laughs> exactly. Like, the, the, but this is a knowledge set that was passed matrilineally. And then once you start to dismantle this mechanism that would other it, what you get is a totally other history. However, I should say that by being other members of the subculture do become the enemies of Western civilization. And so that becomes a fascinating dynamic to see the way in which othering inspires uh, an aggressive position towards Western culture. But that's really, I should say, just one element within a larger history that has not been taught, which is not about antagonism with the project of Western civilization, but is an alternative to it that, that is still alive and robust today. So,
0: Christian, I think that you really kind of hit the nail on the head there. It is about those dynamics and that those dynamics are not just still at work, but always and constantly at work. And that, you know, whenever we set something up as being other, of course, we are just kind of making an arbitrary divide. As you say, um, these are all elements of Western culture or culture in general, uh, and they actually spring from similar traditions. They overlap and interweave with one another. And I think that's the beauty of these studies is in some ways being able to return not to some sort of complete picture necessarily, but in any case, a more complete understanding of modes of thought and practice and belief and lives led than we would have otherwise had.
2: Absolutely. And just on a very everyday level, uncovering these lost voices just makes the world a more interesting place to be in. It just, it really changes the way that you look at the world and the things in it. And instead of thinking, oh, the world is this way, the world is that way, you're like, not only do I not know, I cannot know what the world is like. And it really remains out there to be explored. It remains out there to be uncovered. And th- that's really the, the point of this visions of the occult class uh, that I'll be teaching in the winter is to bring people together and to ask them, so what have you found? You know, What is it that brought you here? Because that's a piece of the puzzle that we're gonna have to put together When we construct this alternative narrative, the conversations are always so important, you know, to to get together with a group of 10 or 15 people who are intentionally there to get down and dirty with the material and being like, everyone here has read this. Let's talk. Let's really see what the bottom of this, because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about isolation. I think everyone is these days by virtue of the Corona. No kidding. And sometimes it's almost like I get lost in my own conversation with this. I mean, you can pick up a book and you're having a conversation with the author, but it seems a little bit isolated. And I really do miss the openness and spontaneity of ideas, the free flowing of inspiration that happens when people are together. And really, so this group is an intervention into loneliness, uh, yes. disguised as a, a course on uh, an introductory course to esotericism. There's room for everybody here, and, and the best conversations will involve many different perspectives.
0: Christian's enthusiasm is infectious. The way he and Marco describe the upcoming course as an opportunity for participants to become what Walter Hanechaf has called curiosity seekers makes apparent how essential the study of Western esotericism is. By questioning the master narrative, or indeed changing or dismantling it entirely, students of esotericism and its great variety of currents can help to compile a layered notion of the longer narratives at play in our shared cultural history. To echo what Marco mentioned, the culture in question is almost irrelevant. Tracing the movements within it, the dynamics of formation and dissemination, of advancing one mode of thought or way of being over another, is also at its core the study of human choices. By interpreting diverse forms of knowledge in concert with the dominant trends of a given culture, we ultimately come closer to understanding more about not only where we are today, but importantly, how we got here in the first place. If you have been nursing a fascination for herbalism, an interest in the intertwined nature of early psychology and Western esotericism, or even if you want to explore the recent surge in the usage of occult symbols in K-pop music videos, I would urge you to join Marco and Christian online this winter. Their course, Visions of the Occult, an introduction to Western esotericism, is open for applications, and has already received a number of them from prospective participants from across the globe. Come join our community of curiosity seekers, initiates, and grandmasters at the University of Amsterdam from January 18th to 29th. We hope to see you there. MOCUM is brought to you by the Summer Programs Office at the University of Amsterdam's Graduate School of Social Science. For information about our online winter courses, including Visions of the Occult, click on the link in our bio. If you like Mokum or think you have a friend who would be interested in the topics that we cover, please share it with them. You can find out more about our office and education programs by visiting www.summerschool.uva.nl or following us on Instagram at Amsterdam Summer Programs. That's P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S. Thanks for tuning in.